This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hello. Welcome back. It's Becca Piastrelli here, back with you to share a really special conversation with you today with repeat guest, Lisa Oliveira, the one, the only, the Instagram famous Lisa Oliveira. But before we talk about that, I wanted to share something with you that I have been sort of tinkering with over my winter season both internal and external. And that is I've created something. I've created it really slowly and intentionally. I've created a lot of offerings in my time as both the dabblist, shout out if you used to know me as the dabblist, and under my name, Becca Piastrelli, I've had many offerings, retreats, workshops, and I've always sort of created them quickly. And now just trying to embody in a deeper way, this slow and seasonal way of being, I wanted to bring that to the next thing I offered out in the world. And so this is none other than the Tending the Flame home practice based on my book, Root and Ritual. So it's a 28-day devotional practice where you can connect with practices that will root you into the words from my book, Root and Ritual, into actual action in your life. Tending the flame offers a pathway back to a deep sense of connection through ritual and practice. And the whole thing is, I can't allow root and ritual to gather dust on our bookshelves and coffee tables when we could be embodying it in a deeper and more sacred way. Like one of the challenging things about reading books is that they often only activate a small part of us, the head. We can read so many books but how much of the information contained in them do we actually retain? And from what we retain, how much of that becomes wisdom that informs our thinking and behaviors in our daily lives? And how much of that is helping us to live in a way that we really want to, a way that is slower paced, tending to our needs and the needs of our beloved ones and feeling a deep kinship with the land? Not a lot, if at all, especially in these fast-paced and exhausting times. So research shows us that habits are formed when repeated over time, and it begins as a single action, which if repeated long enough, forms a neural pathway that creates behavior change. 
Now, before you start rolling your eyes and saying, I'm like some Tony Robbins type, I swear, this is your opportunity to connect with what you've read in my book or elsewhere. You don't have to have read my book in order to do this work and make it real in your body, in your daily life, in your community, and in your spiritual practice. So just as the book is divided into four sections, land, lineage, community, and the self, this is a choose-your-own-adventure kind of an experience. Choose the area of your life that is pinging most when you read over the words. So do you feel a yearning to be in relationship with the living world around you? Then choose the land practice. Do you crave deeper connection with your ancestors? Then choose the lineage practice. Do you feel an absence of community or the village in your life that feels vital to shift now? Then choose community. Do you find yourself struggling with a sense of feeling worthiness and belonging in your body here on earth in this like fast-paced world? Then choose the self-practice. Are you longing to live your life according to a meaningful, slower, and wilder way of being? Because like I am, and I made this practice and did this practice alongside it. So you can learn more by going to tendingtheflamepractice.com. And if you're listening to this around the time of publishing, I'm talking about it everywhere. Tendingtheflamepractice.com and you can learn more and sign up to begin your 28 days to radically changing the way you live and embody your values every day. Okay. Now let's talk about today's episode. It's a conversation with what I can consider my buddy now, Lisa Oliveira, who maybe you know from Instagram, if that's a place you hang out. Uh, She's a writer, she's a therapist, and a creative who shares work centered around radical acceptance, cultivating compassion, and integrating our stories in full humanity. She's also a new mother just five months postpartum at the time we recorded this episode. And we have a similarity, Lisa and I, in that we launched books into the world postpartum, her extremely early postpartum, I think like a month or two. And I remember I was at a book signing at a local herb shop in the county where I live. And like, it was two weeks before the Christmas holidays and like no one came in. And I was sitting there in my mask with my Sharpie, just like so vulnerable, but also so happy to be promoting the book, not, you know, from my phone in a room alone. And in walks Lisa with her baby and her partner and asked to get a book signed. And it meant so much to me. And these are the bonds we can build in so many ways. So I am here to offer reciprocity and just gladly to say, Lisa has an incredible book out uh, called Already Enough, A Path to Self-Acceptance. It's beautiful and powerful and so helpful for those of us who are looking to rewrite our stories. And Lisa more knows more than anyone else what that means, because when Lisa was just a few hours old, her birth mother abandoned her behind a rock near these woods where we live, Muir Woods, the giant redwood tree woods in Northern California. And she was a found and adopted. Growing up, she knew she was adopted, but she later learned she was abandoned. And like many adopted children, this led Lisa to wonder why. Like, why did her mother leave her behind? And without answers, Lisa came up with her own. Something must be wrong with her, that she was not enough. And so in 
the book where she guides you through looking at your stories and how to create a new one and accept and love yourself. She, she shares a bit of her story. And then I invited her to come on this podcast to share how that plays into being a new mother. So together we talk about the pressures and expectations of motherhood, the deep joy and grief of becoming a parent, particularly because she now is the parent of a biological child and what grief that brought up in her of having been abandoned by her biological mother. Uh, We talk about how having two tiny eyes on you at all the time invites you to embody your values and step into your integrity. We also share how our experiences of becoming a mom made us change plans, say no, be more flexible, and honor our energetic capacities, even if it means disappointing people or ourselves in the process. Oof, that's a big one. It's such a beautiful and important conversation. I loved that Lisa was willing to dive in, particularly in quite tender and vulnerable areas of her own story. And I'm really honored to to share this with you. So let me present to you our conversation. Me and my friend having a conversation, inviting you to join in on us. Enjoy. But here I am. Yeah. In this space of like whatever it is, the habit or the attachment or yeah, whatever's playing out. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think so many people think of postpartum as like the initial few months, like the new, new, newborn months. And I'm like, oh, I'm five months in and I'm still very much in the postpartum swirl. And I think before I was in it, I thought that I would be further out of it by now or that I, I would supposed to be like more independent by now or something. I don't know. Like Mm -hmm. some of the stories I've inherited about what it means to foster independence in your baby or in yourself. I I haven't felt that yet. And I'm kind of letting it be okay that I haven't felt that yet. And letting myself just be in this space of still very much integrating all of the changes that are happening in a way that I didn't really expect I would still be, but that I'm working on just allowing to be mm-hmm. and allowing myself to be here still, knowing that it'll probably be this way for a while. That's so wise. Yeah. I mean, I'm, so I'm almost 19 months postpartum, both of us with our first child. So like plunged into the icy cold deep end that is like, whoa, you have a baby now. And I, yeah, I really thought postpartum was like the fourth trimester, you know, the first three months. And then I was like, oh, it's the first six months. And I was like, oh, I just got to get to a year. There's always that, like, I just got to get to sort of way we keep ourselves going when it gets hard. And I really, I honestly feel that the 18 month mark for me was the hump. There's something that has happened in the last like couple weeks for me. Also spring came to where we, we both live nearby Spring came to the earth here and that really helped. But yeah, I just feel like I don't have a baby anymore. I have a toddler Mm -hmm. and I feel the individuation. We're still nursing, but even that I feel like more boundaried around my body. Like there was the shift and I thought that shift would happen a year ago. Mm -hmm. And then when it didn't, I, and I went on like Instagram and saw all the like (laughs) individuated mamas that I assumed, you know, I would really tell myself a story that I was like doing it wrong. Have you had that? Have you had any? I mean, I just, yeah. 
I put you on a slight pedestal and I'm just admitting the truth. And then I tell my, I do this to like yeah. all my friends that I only interact with on Instagram where I'm just like, they've got it figured out and I don't But like, do have you had that, that moment of like, Oh dang, like I thought this would go different and I'm judging it or I'm nervous or I'm comparing. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. So much has come up that I didn't expect. And it's one of those things that I think people can give you all the advice and you can have all the information and you can hear all about everyone else's experience, but it's really a very deeply embodied experience of becoming a mother, becoming a parent. And I don't think there's any way to actually prepare for it because it's such a present in the moment experience. And I definitely set myself up to feel like I would conquer it and have it be this beautiful healing experience and that I would be present all the time and all these idealized versions of what I thought motherhood would be. And when it wasn't that in so many ways, I definitely took that on as my flaw and me not having it together enough or not knowing enough or not being intuitive enough or whatever, whatever stories I thought I was supposed to hold around how I should be showing up. Um, And then there was also just this whole added layer of grief that I didn't really anticipate that I think has so much to do with my adoption and being left and yeah, just the embodied experience of forming such a deep attachment before she was even born and having her and connecting with her. So initially it just really brought up a lot of grief around some of the things that I didn't get as a newborn and, and just knowing how deeply that connection is. And it really shed light on the severance of adoption and some of the things I had already felt, but in such a different way in becoming a mother. So I think that too was an experience that I had some anticipation around, but that has been a lot deeper than I would have imagined. And yeah, has just brought up a whole different layer of healing around my own story and what it means to be a mother and what it means to have a biological connection and to yearn for that. And just all the complexities around that piece have been amplified too. But aside from that, I definitely have not felt like I've had it all together at all. And it's such a tender thing, I think, to be a new mother and to sort of be forced to compare yourself because so much is shown behind a curtain and we don't always see everything that's going on. And it's only natural to come up with the idea that other people must know what they're doing more than we do. And I think something you talk a lot about is like missing the village and Mm -hmm. how much that missing impacts the way that we feel connected or isolated in this experience. And I think not having that village makes it also just so much easier to constantly question what you're doing and how you're feeling when you don't have the mirroring that I think we all need and that naturally we're supposed to have, but that isn't there in so many ways in all the ways it should be. Particularly in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Even more so the last two years, it's just been heightened times a thousand And yeah, it's really complicated and complex. And I think it's easy to try and summon up in like a sweet Instagram post or in a beautiful ode to your child that other people see, but I I don't think it's so easy when you're 
sitting alone at two in the morning, sobbing and in pain and not sure of how to meet your child's needs and not sure how to get your own needs met and wondering what the hell you're doing and how you're going to do this for the rest of your life. It's a very intense experience in so many ways. And it's so easy to talk about the beautiful parts, but I think there's something really important about also sharing about the complexity of all of it too. Mm-hmm. I've noticed there's a bit of a meme happening in the like the new mother social community. And most of us are on our phones. Like that's just the deal because we're in the middle. It's the middle of the night. And so many of us are going to social media and I had a real, you know, I, I've been trying to create more boundaries around social media, but it, it was so helpful to me in those, you know, those nights to just be scrolling or hitting hashtags or like, you know, the algorithm figured out what kind of content they wanted to share with me. But there was like a bit of a trend. That's not the right word, but of new moms, new parents taking photos of themselves postpartum, like crying, like really raw yeah, and sharing it. And um, there was something about that that was like food for my soul where I was, it wasn't like I was like craving someone's pain, but I was just Mm -hmm. like, I could, I could look at a thousand of those to normalize, you know, it was like a bomb to the part of me that felt so um, scared, wanting to be saved, feeling like something was wrong to just see these people be like, here I am with mastitis. Here I am with like afterbirth pain. Here I am with like, you know, my C-section scar is infected. Here I am with constipation, you know, like whatever it is. My baby is colic and I would just be like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think because for so long, mothers in particular have been taught to be this sort of pillar of strength and positivity and love and nurturance that all the other parts of motherhood have kind of had to be pushed aside or not shared. So I think it similar to so many other kinds of conditioning. It's like, we do need to receive those images and messages of truth and realness and rawness, like over and over and over again, in order to let it really sink in that that actually is what other people are experiencing too. And I know that I too saw and purposely put myself in the way of so many people sharing their honest stories about what it meant to be in that space. And at first, even I was like, yeah, maybe they're having a hard night, but I'm sure the rest of it looks easier than it does for me or totally convinced, right? Yeah, right. It's like you can see it, but it's such a different experience to actually feel in your body that sense of unaloneness and that sense of connection around the shared experience of just the bigness of stepping into this role and how many stories you have to shatter and let go of in order to let yourself really step in to the one that you're actually living. Yeah. Which is the task of a lifetime, I think. And I'm sure we'll continue to unravel as the life stages and phases change. And as we change and our babies change, it's like this lifelong returning to what's true and returning to what we actually need to remember, which is not always easy particularly when it wasn't modeled for us in the way we want to live it moving forward. I think that is something that I've really been sitting on is like, 
I mean, I talk about this so much about like ancestral ways, revillaging, and that so many of us just like, I mean, you talk about attachment so much. Like I was just reading your book and listening to your audio book, by the way, your voice, you're such an amazing narrator mm-hmm. where you were talking about attachment. And it just really, it got me thinking about how like so much of my mothering is really just based on how I was parented and how that was modeled for me, which I don't have a huge issue with, but I am, I do want to turn the tide culturally, you know, I really do want to return. It feels like a returning to a different way of doing this. And I am like guessing (laughs) I'm reading books and I'm having conversations both publicly and privately. And that's like kind of, it's a Herculean task. I'm really realizing, which is why I've really encouraged myself to be gentle and slow down and stay in the conversation instead of that sort of like capitalist mindset of figure it out on your own. Yeah kind of a thing. And I, I would love on that topic, I would love to return to like the way you came into this world. You mentioned you're an adoptee and um, when you were on, so you're like a two-time guest on belonging. And when you were here a few years ago, you did share a little bit about, about your story, about how, how you came to be on this planet and how it informed your life. And I would love for you to, you can briefly share that if that feels okay. And then just how that's informed, like you choosing to then create life with your body and anything that's come up around that. I'm, I've just been wanting to know how that's been for you. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who don't know, that's, it's always such a weird thing to say for those who don't know, it's like (laughs) most people probably don't know, but they might, um, yeah, but yeah, I was abandoned when I was born near Muir Woods and I was later adopted and um I had no idea where I came from or why that had happened or who my birth mother was and that honestly plagued me for so long and I think something that I've really learned in becoming a mother is I feel like I've had an embodied experience of why that was so painful for me and why it's so complicated for so many adoptees to navigate that sense of loss because for so long I was told like just be grateful like you were found and you have a family who does love you and I was told that by my own family like why do you need to know about that just be grateful that we have you and like oh yeah just really dismissing the experience I was holding in my own body around what it meant to not know where I came from and yeah my mom has told me that I used to like ask about who my actual mom was all the time and that I would like look for her in stores and, and I would say like, maybe that's her. She has the same color eyes as me and that I was just always really focused on it. And at a certain point I kind of learned to shut all of that down because I was repeatedly sort of told that it was wrong in a way to, to have that feeling and that, that longing for, for knowing where I had come from and who I had come from. And I think something that has come up in becoming a mother is just the, the amount of, the amount of grief that we can hold in our bodies and the amount of healing that can happen when we allow ourselves to create a new story without having to get rid of the one that's hard. 
And for me, I found for a while that I was putting a lot of pressure on myself while I was pregnant to have this kind of healing experience and to have this regenerative experience of turning that pain into something different. And I think through becoming a mother and fostering this connection with my baby and seeing her mirrored through me and seeing me mirrored through her and knowing that she is literally a part of me and was until she came here. I think it provided me the space to actually grieve in a way that I don't fully think I did until now. Mm-hmm. And part of that is really hard because I feel like, again, that pressure to really enjoy the moment and fully feel the goodness and the beauty of having a new baby. And of course, I've been feeling that so deeply. And then there's also just this lingering, this lingering feeling of like, yeah, it's not normal to not be connected to the person that you came from. And it's not normal to not know that part of your story. And I think it's just giving me the validation that I, yeah, that I didn't get when I was growing up and that I've gotten through other ways, but that I'm getting in a whole different experience through becoming a mother and through being able to show up for my baby in the way that I know I needed. And in that sense, I think it's also just been really healing because every time I meet her need or I see her or I know that she's safe or I know that she knows me and recognizes my voice and, you know, singing to her when she was in my belly and talking to her and telling her about her life before she even came here, knowing that she had that coming into the world has also kind of been healing for me in a way. And I feel like I've been able to give her what I have needed. Oh, Yeah, it's it's a lot deeper than everything I just said. And I feel like I still haven't found the words for the actual depth of Mm. grief and connection and attachment and love that all of this has sort of swirled within me. But Mm -hmm. it's something that I'm still processing. And I think something that is sort of shaping the trajectory of not passing on the pain that I've held to her and, and also figuring out how to be with whatever all of my story means for her too, because I know that she'll know about what happened to me one day and she may be curious about her own roots and her own ancestry and the complexity of being curious about that of my adoptive parents and also of her actual lineage. And yeah, there's so many questions that I still haven't answered around how to hold all of it, but mm-hmm. I think I'm in this place of just allowing myself to really feel the depth of grief and joy and everything in between and knowing that, yeah, that I don't have to shut any of those down as much as parts of me feels like I'm supposed to. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. I, I'm feeling like my heart is feeling you in deep ways. I remember reading in your book about how you would look around for your mother, look for like who else has your like blue eyes and dark hair. Mm-hmm. And I remember you shared a photo with me of your child and I wrote you back, little Lisa. Mm-hmm. 
And I am now just having a moment of like, and you are seeing your child with the dark eyes and, or the, the blue eyes and the dark hair Mm -hmm. and how, yeah, how that must be both such a relief. And then that relief gives way to the grief of baby Lisa. Right. Right. And it's so complex because it's like, I see both of those things in her and I, I'm trying so hard to not project my experience onto hers. It's so hard. And also, I just know how intertwined we are, no matter how badly I want to protect her from the harder parts. And I know that those parts are also part of her in some way. So it's like, yeah, this this constant questioning of how how do I pass my whole self onto her and see her as her own person and see her as part of me and see myself in her and Oof. Yeah. yeah, all of it is just so, <laughs> so deep. And I'm not sure I'll have any of it figured out until I'm leaving this earth. And yeah. hopefully by then I'll be saying like, Oh, I understand now. Yeah. The big questions. I remember I had a postpartum doula who was telling me that she sees in the new parents when, you know, in like those early days where your baby's crying and you like, you find your noise, right? Like mine was like, shh, 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 shh. And then sometimes mm-hmm. it would be like, and I would pat her butt and like rub it. So I'd pat three pats and then a rub, three pats and a rub. And my postpartum doula was like, you know, like physiologically, this is as much to soothe you as it is to soothe your child. And I just remember so many nights of like, pat, pat, rub and thinking and saying things to my baby that I knew I was talking to baby me. I knew I was talking to, and then I would get all twisted. Like, is that messed up? Or is that like a beautiful, natural, primal human thing in the matrescence rite of passage? Like in this you know, many years long, people say, not people, the person that I can't remember who coined the term matrescence. Do you remember her name? We will have her in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Amazing Ted talk. And she says it's two Mm -hmm. years. It's at least two years. And Jesse Harold, who I interviewed on the podcast, incredible facilitator talks about it being at least two years, which feels like a relief, (laughs) but also like, oh, I'm in the caterpillar goo for two years that throughout that process, you are facing your own attachment stuff, facing your own, how you were parented, mothered, caretaken, and then grieving your maidenhood. Like there's a lot going through there. And that it happens in these embodied moments of patting your child and, and shushing them to sleep. It's like deep, deep ritual in these little moments. Yeah. There is so much happening in those little moments. And sometimes I'll find myself in one of those moments where I'm, yeah, like humming her a song that I used to hum in the shower when I was pregnant or mm-hmm. bouncing her in a certain way and and feeling my own nervous system getting soothed. And and then there are other moments where I don't even notice I'm doing something and I just out of what feels like out of nowhere, I just start crying and I'm looking at her and just crying and I'm like, I don't even know what's coming up right now, but this just feels like a lot. And it just feels like there's more here than what's here. And I think there's so many of those moments where there's more there than what's there. And it means so much more than 
the specific details coming up in the moment. Mm. I think all of the stuff about attachment and healing and grief and growth and joy and everything that happens within us during this time is really represented in how much bigger some of those small moments feel. And I have found myself like really trying to slow down and pay attention in those moments and to also honor when doing that feels like too much. And when doing that feels like it might override how much space I actually have to process or grieve or hold or, or even be with like the immensity of joy that can come up. Like all of it just feels like such a huge amount of humanity happening, happening in those moments that sometimes I catch myself wanting to dive in and then also like needing to pull back and ground myself back in just what's happening because there's so much held in what's happening sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd imagine it's a challenge being a therapist and writer <laughs> where you're like, there's something happening here that I deeply want to bring words to. Yeah. But I also, right. You need to live your experience. I feel similarly where I'm like, there's an analysis part of this. There's like a, <laughs> my head wants to bring words to this and and right there are word there's the wordless space where you can trust something's happening and maybe we don't ever have to even name it. Yeah. I think I've been in that space for the last 5 months and mm-hmm. for a while I was feeling really pressured to like turn to turn my experience into content, like to turn my lived experience into something I could pass on to someone else as wisdom, like as if any of it is embodied wisdom for me when I've only been a mother for five months, but it's, yeah, it's been a deep letting go of not turning all of this into something for people to consume and not turning this experience into something that has to be more than what it is, which I think in this culture of extraction and productivity and all of that, it's really hard to let things just be what they are. Yeah. But it's something I'm really practicing and even noticing the pull of like, huh, what could this mean? Or what, what does this bring? Yeah. Just that analysis that, that can come up so easily that I have to kind of let myself shut off. And I think that's been a continual practice over and over of letting myself just be a person and not bringing all of my roles into this experience. I can so relate. And I think if I may, I think there might be a connection here that you and I both came out with books in the same postpartum time. Yeah. And so there's added pressure to like creating content, being relevant, promoting, you know, a book that we want people to buy because that's part of our career and supports us in getting the next book deal or whatever, you know, that we want for ourselves outside of motherhood, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have really admired the way you've navigated your book launch because we, you launched like two months after me. And I remember Mm -hmm. you came, you came to one of my book signings. Oh my gosh. It was so (laughs) touching. Mm with your babe and we connected there and you were like, okay, I'm getting ready to do it. And you've just, I've seen you in that sacred refinement of not needing to turn every moment or like your, 
you know, sharing from the scar, not the wound, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I love that phrase. It's just really valuable to me of really being like, I'm so tender right now. I don't need to like share my insides with the world. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I've, I've been in that practice. I've, as we were just saying before we hit record, like I've pulled back so much from that urge, which was really just like habit formed of being a content creator in this bizarre time in the world and just be like, okay, but like what's most important first is honoring my process. And I've just watched you model that beautifully. And I think, yeah, there's some, there's some wisdom there for all of us, whether we're like launching a book in postpartum or not, there's a way in which we don't have to always, we can be in the process, which can be a real discomfort, right? Just sitting Mm -hmm. in it, trusting it, not bringing words to it in a culture that wants us to move through it and get a nugget of wisdom and move on. Yeah. I feel that so deeply. And I think choosing to honor yourself or at least try to honor yourself because sometimes we might bypass what we actually need in order to do what we think we're supposed to do because we're only human. And I think all of us will do that sometimes. And yeah, I've just been trying to notice when I do that and notice when I'm pushing it and notice when I'm taking something on that I don't actually have capacity for or sharing something that actually doesn't feel aligned to share right now or whatever it may be. And so much of that has involved like disappointing people, um, not being able to show up for things that I said I would not being able to do as many interviews as I said I would, you know, telling my publisher that I didn't have space for this or that or whatever it may have been and not posting all the beautiful graphics that my team made for me to post on Instagram. Like I have so many I never posted. Yeah. You know, there was, I think, a lot of expectation around how much I would be able to do that sort of got pummeled by this experience of motherhood and by my choice to try and honor the place I'm in instead of trying to create this vision that I have a lot more capacity and space to show up than I actually do. Mm. And that has meant having to let go of things that I didn't necessarily want to let go of. It's meant having to set aside like my ego and numbers and all the things that I, I think we're so easily taught to care about and taught to prioritize, but it's felt really relieving and good and refreshing to feel like I'm actually practicing letting those things go rather than just wanting to, or knowing that I should, I it's felt like I've actually been practicing showing up for myself in the ways that I want to, which in turn is modeling to my baby that like, that's actually what matters most. And that has felt really good, even amid the challenges that it's brought up around, yeah, letting people down in some way and letting that be okay, which is not easy as someone who's constantly recovering from needing everyone to be okay with me and with what I do. Um, it's a constant returning to, okay, what actually matters to me and what's actually true and real here. And how do I actually need to meet my needs in this experience, which yeah, again, is not always easy, but it's something that I'm practicing for sure. Yeah, the way I see it is 
It's like the great integrity check. Like, are we walking our talk? You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like you're, I don't know, like a widget salesman. Like you, you talk about these sorts of things, right? And so if you're not embodying it, like, what are we even doing? That's how I feel where it's like when I find myself, like I talk about living slow and seasonally, right? And now I have these little eyes on me soaking up everything. Like, like there's something like a billion neurons a minute. We're going to fact check and put that in the show notes, but (laughs) there's so much data being processed by a little baby brain, Yeah, you know, and I can really see it now with like, Atlas has like five new words a day. I'm like, wow, you are really processing deeply and watching everything I do mimics like my facial, every little tick. And I'm just like, okay, then what, then what am I going to just like talk about these things on the internet? And then you're going to watch me like fret around and be a hot mess. No, no, Mm -hmm. that's not cool. I don't want that. So there's a way in which motherhood is like the great refiner of integrity that I feel. Yeah. It's like an extra accountability buddy. Yeah. It's so true. It's like, I want to practice presence. And if I'm not present and I'm on my phone, my baby cries and it's like, Hey, I need you. I'm like, yep. Oh, yep. Oh yeah. Like this is where I'm here. Like I'm not in this digital space. Like I'm here and I'm getting pulled into this space. That's not here. So how, how do I pull myself back? And you're so right that it truly is the ultimate mirror of where you're out of integrity and how it feels when you're actually practicing living in the way that you are called to and in the way that feels aligned and true for you. Mm -hmm. According to your values. Right. That constant pair of eyes on you is sort of like, yeah, there's something more powerful about that than just being accountable to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I wanted to talk more about letting people down, (laughs) disappointing Mm -hmm. people and the way in which motherhood forces us to live with more like flexibility and to be more responsive and how we live in this world that's like appointment driven in our calendars, you know, and you and I, yeah. before we hit record, we're talking, I mean, we had to reschedule this because your childcare fell through. Yeah. And I was like, I totally get it. It's fine. And then you talking about like breaking promises, you know, about promotion of this book. And I just, there's something there that I think is important for us to to dive deeper on and jam on there around how there's like the idea of like being more flexible and then putting that into practice and how difficult it is for the parts of ourselves mm-hmm. that are still living in capitalism that were born <laughs> into capitalism, right? That were born into these structures of hyper productivity and fear of disappointing people. Cause then we're unlovable and untrustable and we're rejected from the, the clan or whatever. So mm-hmm. you wrote a really beautiful blog post about how you had all these plans and then Josie started throwing up <laughs> and you were like, well, mm-hmm. that's not happening. I wanted to know how you feel about since you're five months in like, you know, doing work, being, you know, being a writer and a therapist and having to like tell people, your kid's sick or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's so, so uncomfortable. And I, every time I do it, I still feel this voice of like, you should have had this figured out. 
if you had done this correctly, this wouldn't have happened. This voice that, yeah, almost makes me feel like I'm supposed to be able to control it all and not being in control means I'm not doing enough when I have so much lived proof that that's just not the reality that I'm so much not in control of how things go. And so many of us are not. And so many things happen that are not according to our plans. And I think practicing embracing that and holding, holding the fact that sometimes it does disappoint someone or it does inconvenience someone or it does let someone down. It's, it's like trying to hold both, trying to hold that that's true and not taking on more responsibility than is mine to take on when so much of this is just a part of being a person and falls out of the way we're told we're supposed to be as humans, which is productive, scheduled, on time, you know, having everything lined up, not having to change things, not having to can't like all these expectations we have of ourselves and of other people that I don't think are natural at all, but feel natural because we've been conditioned in so many ways and have seen other people live that way in so many ways. Like I think about now that I'm a mom, I think about my mom growing up, how like, I feel like I didn't see very much of her as a person, but I saw so much of her as someone who was so regimented in filling this role of what it means to be like a good mother in making all the appointments and showing up at class and like mm-hmm. meeting all the schedules, like doing all these external things, but kind of losing herself. Mm-hmm. There's something around letting it be and letting go of the rigidity and letting go of needing to be the perfect mother and the perfect therapist and the perfect friend and all of it that feels like I'm, I'm starting to slowly let myself break that cycle of needing to fit into this really tiny, tiny box of what it means to be a responsible or good or present or um, caring or whatever word you may use person in the world, which I've learned has to include being imperfect and things not going to plan and being willing to adapt and being willing to hold other people's responses to that without making it mean something about me or how good of a job I'm doing it at navigating more than any of us should ever have to navigate on our own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing I think about too. And something that you talk about a lot that I mentioned before around like missing the village if we were living in the ways that we are meant to, we wouldn't have to be juggling so much independently and we wouldn't have to be forcing so much into our calendars and we wouldn't have to be saying no to things because there wouldn't be this huge sense of urgency to just fit so much into our life as individual people. And I think there's just some grief around that too. Like I shouldn't have to feel guilty for saying no to something I didn't have space for. Like I shouldn't have to feel like I'm supposed to be able to do all of this on my own. I shouldn't have to feel like I'm doing something wrong just because I can't do it all. And yeah, just noticing all the ways we've been programmed to distance ourselves from our own humanity. I think that's come up a lot in figuring out what it means to disappoint people and what it means to not be able to hold everything that I think we may silently be expected to hold as mothers. 
Yeah, I can't tell you how many cancellation fees I have to pay when my childcare falls through. And I understand businesses, it's hard to run a business, right? And so I get the, the idea of cancellation fees. So what I do is I've built into my budget paying cancellation fees, <laughs> which is like yeah. madness. Mm. So our child care provider, our nanny, um, got COVID back mm. in November and it was rough. I mean, for so many reasons and she, she's okay and everything's all right now. And I was like, it was a week before my book came out <laughs> and mm-hmm. I had to cancel so much because I'm the primary parent. My partner did the best he could, but it's on me if I don't have support. Yeah. And I was surprised with a lot of people just like not being understanding mm-hmm. of childcare falling through and me just being like, this is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem in our society. Yeah. And then me having to pay on top of that for mm-hmm. cancellations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mentioned Jesse Harold, who I've interviewed in the podcast. She has a podcast called The Coming. She did a program called Mother Shift that I was a part of. Really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. She has the most amazing autoresponder mm-hmm. that she always has on. And it's, I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically says, Hi, I'm a mother first, and it's a pandemic, mm-hmm. and I also will have a job. And I work when I can work. And sometimes it's early in the morning, sometimes it's late at night. And sometimes I need to bake cookies with my kid or sometimes my kid's sick. Mm-hmm. And um, so I will get back to you and it won't be immediately. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, what permission? Like that is a radical like way to push back. Yeah. And so I decided to add at the bottom of my email signature, like I'm practicing a slower paced way of living. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get back to you within a few days. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't even say that because I didn't want to make that promise. I I'm I have slower response times, but I will do my best to get back to you. I love that. That's what I'm interested in is little ways we can be like, hmm, how can we shift this mindset? Yeah. And that's such a small thing, like having an auto response email or having a signature that includes that, but it comes into contact with every single person who approaches you. And I can imagine people feeling their own sense of relief when they see you doing that or when they see Jesse yeah. doing that it's like oh we can do that like i haven't even thought to do that but you saying that tells me oh that's something i'm putting on my list of things to do to honor myself and to honor other people's time yeah it is a really radical way of being really upfront about the needs that we actually have as humans and how okay it is to have boundaries around some of the things we're told we shouldn't have boundaries around in some ways. Yeah. I'm just writing a note to myself to to text Jesse and be like, you need to do like a whole thing about autoresponders. I think it's like, yeah, it should be like offering something totally because I think it could really change the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such a small thing, but there's such a big message in that small thing. Yeah, there really is. Well, we're reaching the end of our time. I could talk to you forever and I just I, I just adore you so much and yeah, I just thank you for your time. 5 months postpartum coming on here. I'm going to plug your book cuz you've done a lot of that and I this is what we <laughs> got to do as others sit together. I'm holding it up here. 
Lisa Oliveira, already enough, a path to self-acceptance. It is exquisite and so supportive and well-written. And I highly recommend you get it if you don't have it already. It's a beautiful book. And um, I also just uh, signed up for your Substack newsletter. Yeah. So do you want to share about this? Because I think, yeah, your writing is so is such a healing balm in these times. And I recommend it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I kind of like what we talked about earlier. I've just been feeling a big pull to spend a lot less time on social media and spend a lot less time creating content and a lot more time actually doing the things that fill me up during this time and doing things that feel accessible to me during this time, which is writing. And yeah, I just wanted to create something new and create a new space where people could come and and read what I share without having to scroll and without having to rush through it and without having to be in the space that we're so often in when we're taking in what people are sharing. And yeah, I've also just slowly started feeling this creative spark come back a tiny bit. So I, it mm-hmm. felt important to give myself some space to to open that up in a new way. So yeah, I'm sharing on Substack and um, it's just started. So it's brand new, but it feels really good. And it feels exciting to just have a space to write and share in new ways outside of kind of the hecticness and the chaos of social media. It feels more intimate and more meaningful and just more, yeah, more aligned with where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how it goes, but it feels really good. Yeah. I will link to it in the show notes. Yeah. I think what's also appealing to me is there's no character limit. (laughs) So you can really go for it. That's felt really appealing to me too. Like, not having all the limitations that come with social media and letting it be a creative act instead of just creating something for quick consumption. Yeah. It feels more aligned for me to write and share in that way. And it feels like I get filled up doing that in ways that I don't in sharing like little snippets or only sharing little snippets, I should say on social media. Beautiful. And what's the name of your newsletter? It's called human stuff. Human stuff. It's really beautiful name. Yeah, I've had a monthly newsletter for a couple of years called Human Stuff. So I just was like, I'm just going to use that name in a, in an ongoing way because it kind of cool. sums up the not summable up part of what I share, which is just a lot of everything. Yeah, a lot of human stuff. Yeah. yeah. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I adore you. And I appreciate all that you share in the world. Thank you. It's so sweet to be in your company and I adore you too and love everything that you do and are. And yeah, I feel filled up after our conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many directions, I feel honored you chose to devote some of yours here with me. If you want to check out show notes or listen to past episodes, go to belongingpodcast.com. And if you like what we talk about here and want to know more, you can subscribe to my newsletter at beccapiastrelli.com. I'll be with you again soon.